Irish Times Inside Business podcast in association with Your Next Dublin. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I'm joined by phone by David McRebman, Chief Executive of On Post. It's one of those companies still providing essential services to customers around the country amid the COVID-19 pandemic. David, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Kieran. Good to be with you. Just tell us a little bit about how On Post is operating in amidst the pandemic, because we've been in lockdown now for a month or so. Um, but your people are still out and about, postmen and women around the country, uh, delivering letters and parcels. Uh, and post offices obviously are still open and um, selling various services. Sure, sure. You know, what's what's important to us is is two things. Obviously, firstly, the health and safety of our staff and indeed the the early stages of of the pandemic was just a logistical exercise of procurement, trying to procure around the world what we now all know as PPE, but was initially hand sanitizers and things like that. So making sure we have that, making sure we have physical distancing, all the things that, that should be in place. And we're doing that really to keep two essential networks open. The first is the post office network, which is by distance the largest cash distribution network in the economy. And, you know, it's interesting that in a day when we use contactless payments and all of those, there is still a real need for cash. And there are groups in society who, who only use cash. So actually having that network, particularly for social welfare users, has been essential. And they've done an amazing job, the postmasters. You know, they, they're, they're franchisees. They own their own businesses. But out of 943 post offices, only seven have been closed in this period. And um, today, it's, I think it's four today. So, you know, that's an amazing achievement. And they've opened early to, so particularly for old age pensioners to collect their pensions. Um, and the other thing is um, making sure that people could nominate agents so that if people want to collect their, their pension, and now obviously they're in lockdown, they can send an agent. And if they don't want to collect it, we'll then retain it. Um, but the, you know, the logistical piece here is enormous. And you know, I'd certainly say GVS, who, you know, the, who do the cash, or G4S, who do the cash distribution. I mean, it's huge amounts of cash and having to manage that. So that's one network. The other network, which is um, is our delivery network, the postmen and postwomen throughout the country. And that's extremely important. That's something that has, uh, again, gone really very well. And they've been fantastic. They've, they came to us and said, what more can we do? You know, we, we'd like to be able to call in on more of the elderly and so they've called in to date on about 150,000 homes uh, checking on elderly. And, and they know them. I mean, we don't have a list, but they know who they are and their route. Um, and we actually put also up a website and about a few thousand people have registered. You know, somebody wants their parents checked in on in, say, in Banagher or somewhere they could do that. So uh, that that network has held up extremely well. I mean, I see my postman every morning and he, he does say that the good weather has, has helped and a lack of traffic, actually, funnily. But uh, I can't say enough for what they've done. So that's been the essential part. We've done a whole lot of other things. Free postcards really, I think, was something that got the imagination early on and, and got people writing to each other. And then really, you know, to be honest, just doing what we can to help. You know, 
there are frontline, there are frontline heroes, but we know the real heroes are the health workers and the people who are really putting themselves in, in harm's way. So, uh, so we're also well aware of that. I didn't get my free postcard, David. Uh, I, I might just uh, point out we'll have to investigate that, I think, afterwards. We'll just... have to. We'll have to make. Don't worry. They'll, they'll be on their way to you. I, I think the T-shirt said he didn't get his either, but he has them now. He has them now. Good. Um, so there are essentially two elements to your delivery business. One is parcels and, and one is letters. And maybe just explain the experience uh, for both, because I, I would imagine in terms of parcels, there's been a huge upsurge. Uh, in demand, but in terms of letters, it must be going the other way. Yeah, I think what we're seeing is really an acceleration of a trend that's been there anyway. Mail, you know, letter volumes are in permanent decline, around about six percent per annum, um, and that's uh, that's what we normally expect to see, um, and because of email substitution, and and that is something we manage. And gradually, we're becoming more of a parcels business. Parcels have been growing at thirty percent per annum. And we've built out automated parcel hub and and we've um, increased our fleet enormously, moved postmen and postwomen off bicycles. That's why we've got an electric fleet, because we weren't going to buy 700 diesel vehicles. So, um, so that's been the whole switch into a parcels network. We're only part of the way there. We've a way to go. But since the um, lockdown, I, I mean, parcel volumes, we're looking at 100% increase in parcel volumes in in from some customers um overall probably somewhere around 50 percent increase a uh, big increases in categories that are fairly obvious like healthcare, but then also things like books increasing um hugely one major irish book supplier is up 100 percent 110 percent in their online traffic um uh, one that parents will will smile at is children's toys are up hugely um, so, you know, it's it's the, the great thing in many ways about this business, about on post, is it's a very it, it's a very direct business. It's what you would think it would be. So um, that that's what we're seeing is happening. Mail volumes, the decline is probably in the region of twenty five percent, and that's because businesses are closed and aren't mailing. So that's principally where that's coming from. Now, that impacts us. It means financially we will take a hit over this period. How much I can't say now because we don't have quite good enough like for likes. You know, the month of, of April is always a difficult month because you've Easter at different times. But, you know, we, we're, we're aware of, you know, we look at a three-month scenario and we look at a six-month scenario for however long this goes on. The good news for from our perspective is, you know, we've really built up our balance sheet over the past three years. Three years ago, it was pretty much at zero. Today, it's at 143 million. And um, so, you know, that's that that we've built up for investment in the network and investment in the business. But there's also an element of of rainy day fund in there. And so, you know, this will cost us some money. But we should be able to see our way through it. But what's your best guess estimate at this stage of how much it's likely to cost? I presume it's, we're talking about millions. Is it a single digit million figure? Is it a double digit one? Yeah, look, it's, it's definitely going to be millions. Is it might it be double digit? It might, but below, you know, you know, somewhere it could cost us anywhere between, you know, around it could be 10 million. It could be more. Um, you know, we don't really want to say because we don't know. I mean, some things are very clear. 
which which we don't mind because they're a one-off cost, but also because they're absolutely essential. So, you know, I, I we've spent um, one million on sanitizer. We've spent three million on PPE overall um, uh, for our staff. Now that's something that's that's a cost of of keeping our networks open. The more difficult issue to calculate is what's going to be the cost of the reduction in mail volumes. Again, that's not something which we'd hugely worry about. There's not much we could do about it. I mean, we're doing everything we can to stimulate mail. But um, the, the, that's not so much the concern. The issue is when we get to the other side of this and as we begin to emerge is when will normal come back? When will volumes come back? And, you know, when you have a declining revenue stream like, like letters, does it all come back? Maybe not. On the other hand, we now have literally hundreds of thousands more people using online to purchase goods who didn't do it before. And we know the whole experience of online is that once people make an online purchase, then they'll continue making online purchases. They get used to it. And that's in two ways. Firstly, people who haven't purchased before. But secondly, and probably even bigger impact, is people switching, purchasing from a new category. So, you know, people might have purchased books, or, or apparel was one that people, most people did, and now they might purchase books, or they might purchase toys, as I was saying. And so, and once they get used to doing that, then they'll stay with that. I know that certainly when we did our strategy work with McKinsey three years ago, which, you know, set out the work around becoming more parcel-centric, the average Irish consumers of the online consumer who was spending was spending about 500 euros a year. In the UK, who are ahead of us in terms of online usage, that was typically a thousand euros. So we had half the usage. So you have two elements of growth there, the number of customers and then the amount each customer spends. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I mean, how much longer do you think you have uh, in terms of letters? Uh, how much longer are people going to be still sending physical letters to each other, whether it's businesses or, you know, whether it's people corresponding with each other? Well, actually, I, you know, I think I, people will I, people will almost always send letters. There's, there's, and actually, the funny thing is parcels are the kind of proof of, of, of a physical network, you know, um, an awful lot of online transactions end up in, in, in a parcel. And um, some areas of letters are showing great resilience. You know, um, where we've always been typically low compared to our European counterparts is direct mail. Well, direct mail is now looking like a really good channel because digital is a bit overcrowded and direct mail gets into every home. We've just started doing newspaper delivery, which um, we hadn't done before. And that's that's going to be, I think, a fantastic area. Now, how long will newspapers keep going, the physical newspaper? We don't know. But, but all of these have some level of resilience. And you can manage, you know, just because a business is in decline doesn't mean that it's not valuable or you can't manage it. I mean... You know, I, I was in television. Television was in decline. You're in newspapers and newspapers are in decline. Most businesses are in some form of decline and you find some new growth to gradually take it over. But actually where the real value is very often in the area that's declining. And so if we can manage to do that, because, you know, delivering parcels and letters over the same network means there's, there's a great value to it. I think in terms of businesses, 
there are real issues around GDPR that say that, you know, and, and physical mailings are, are GDPR proof in some ways. Um, you know, there's some areas that people are concerned about uh, cyber security and those things. So I think there always will be some. Some countries have accelerated. Denmark is the, probably the country that has most deliberately accelerated its mail decline by having most of pretty much all of its government transactions digitally. They're now actually seeing some problems they have there. Just as, I mean, a, a good parallel, because we have this in our other network, is cash. That's the other one that people say is in permanent decline and certainly accelerated through this COVID crisis because every place you go into wants contactless payment. And, you know, contactless payments are great. We've contactless cards and, and, and that's fantastic. But the reality is there's now a whole movement which says cash is important. Um, it's important to certain sectors in society, but it's also important. It's, it's a private, untracked way you know, to spend money for people who have money. And um, now some people can say, well, look, is there an issue around money laundering and, and those areas, which is why there's a huge tightening up around that. But on the other hand, there's actually just basic privacy that people have and people like using it. So, you know, for example, in Sweden, they're, they're making certain moves to strengthen their cash distribution. So I think both, both of those, you know, whether it's cash or whether it's letters, they, they both have, have a lifespan left. Sure. But will it be the case that we will continue to have uh, a five-day-a-week um, daily uh, postal service, uh, essentially, which we have sort of Monday to Friday at the minute? Because some countries have moved away from that, haven't they? Sure. Well, actually, we've moved to six-day delivery in most of the country. In most areas, uh, we do a six-day delivery, and and that's really important. Uh, that that you know, we, and we've got a fantastic letter service. I was lucky; I inherited this. You know, it's very high quality. It's ninety-eight point five percent next-day delivery. That will change. There is no doubt that will change. That, you know, there is a point at which it's not sensible to keep delivering um, six days a week. And, um, you know, at some point in the next couple of years, I can see us moving to to maybe not everyday delivery. But that's a discussion to be had with regulators and government. But the issue, the funny thing is, just as people... Quite often, people say, well, I'm not sure I want a letter. Yeah, I need my letters every day. People want their parcels the same day. And, um, you know, so the whole nature of the business is changing. So you move to what, what in the business is called dynamic routing, you know, where, where rather than doing the same route every day, you do a route depending on where the parcels are. And then how do letters get done? And certainly, look, we've explored all of the options around alternate day delivery, what that would look like, how it would work in our um, in our sorting offices, what we call delivery service units, how many of them we would need. And, you know, you're going to see the whole network completely rebuilt over the next three years. I mean, we're in 120 buildings in that delivery network. And I'd say maybe three or four are fit for purpose. So, you're going to see massive changes. And certainly one of the options is moving away from delivering to every house, mail to every house every day. On the other hand, if you look at what's happened through this crisis, you can't but see the role of postmen and postwomen as essential and, and as far more essential than people thought, you know, just six months ago. And we now see it as an essential service. And it's, it's got a whole load of dimensions which are beyond purely the letter. It's, it's a, there's a human dimension. There's a community dimension. 
And and I think those things are are really important. And and you know we'll explore them more as to what we can do. Okay, David, just explain to you how many people across the network in Unpost. Well, across uh, we've nine thousand people in Unpost, but you know if you also include postmasters in the kind of franchise network as well, it's about eleven thousand up to eleven thousand five hundred people in in the network. And have there been any confirmed cases of COVID among those uh, nine thousand or so people? Yeah, we've had confirmed cases and uh, we don't say what the numbers are and it's it's private to those people. But we've we've had an, we've had a, a number of cases, fewer, I think, than we expected, which might be a credit to to the physical distancing uh, uh, that that the staff are exercising. And um, you never know what you know, we don't know enough about the statistics, but Certainly, um, we've we've had a number of cases. Thankfully, um, all those cases have have recovered, and uh, you know we have ongoing cases. So that's a real issue, and that's that's my number one concern. And the first call I have each day is on that: is is what are what are the cases? Um, and but I have to say again to the staff: there's nobody saying. You know they don't want to work um, for that reason. You're getting we've isolated people who have people who are vulnerable at home, who have underlying conditions. Obviously, we've isolated our own people with underlying conditions, but also those. You know, so we've taken all of those measures. But really, as a block, whether it be their trade unions, you know, and I can't say enough about what the CWU have done. And quite often, management of trade unions have to negotiate and all of that. I cannot say enough. Of what the CWU under their leadership have done to to make, you know to work with the postmen and postwomen and with the company to keep coming up with initiatives. I mean, we came up with an initiative that was announced uh, yesterday. I think you know, for example, with the Booksellers Association to uh, allow independent bookshops have a special rate to mail uh, books to their customers. Every one of those things requires systems requires changes requires implementation requires agreement and every time the the default is yes that's and and that's a huge credit to them but you know i I, i'll keep saying it it, that the health of the staff is number one just as it is in the irish times and just as it is i think i think I, i would like to think everywhere and uh but they're exercising all of the precautions David, those COVID cases, were they among your postmen and women? Were they in depots? Were they some of your office staff? Yeah, they were across across the network. And in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of the post offices, let's say, um, there's anecdotal evidence of a surge in uh, the number of current accounts that people are opening with on post uh, and uh, great demand for prize bonds. Maybe you can just fill us in on some of that. Yeah, we're certainly seeing a very uh, strong uplift in current accounts, and which is great. We're not absolutely sure why but it's great that there is um well we were looking at uh, you know we're looking at something like a 20 percent increase we were we we were we were uh, you know we've got to uh, we've got to look at the numbers over a longer period than one month um to try to understand it as i say it's not a representative month april but it's certainly looking like a very healthy increase we've had a strong run with our new financial services you know credit cards one in one in five new credit cards last year um, was was issued by Unpost. Um, so, you know, those services are going well. On the other hand, 
um, where we're really getting hit very hard, and not surprisingly, is, is on um, foreign exchange. And foreign exchange is very important to the network, very important to us. But obviously, with people not traveling, foreign exchange has been hit quite hard. So, you know, there's ups and downs. Um, Prize bonds are doing very well. And I think that's a feature, you know, we've seen and we see in recessions as well is that people tend to go to prize bonds or go to state savings or both. And, um, you know, they, they, they look like safe havens. Um, I think prize bonds also because it's pretty difficult to get a return in your money anywhere, wherever you put it. So they're doing well. Um, but, uh, you know, overall, the number of transactions in post offices, not surprisingly, is down. So we'll take somewhat of a hit on that. You know, we've moved to or the Department of Social Welfare have done an amazing job. And, you know, it's amazing how, you know, if you think of just the number of, of customers the Department of Social Welfare have, and people wonder about, you know, can government do things, does it do things? I mean, from the minister down, uh, Regina Doherty, that, they, they've done an amazing job. And they've moved an awful lot of the payments to bi-weekly payments, uh, just making it easier. But that means you have half the number of transactions in the post office. And, you know, every transaction is an opportunity to sell something else. And so we're seeing loads of ups and downs in the post office business. Um, and we've had to invest very heavily in terms of, you know, perspex screens and and all of the social distancing uh, measures. So, look, and I, again, that will take a bit of a hit in this period. And um, but the other thing we're doing is accelerating our digital channels. So Impost.com is very important and being able to use that, being able to use to shop online, be able to get your stamps online, as well as in post offices, being able to um, register for a whole load of services. So, so you know, for us, it's always about saying that there, there can be an alternative. But for the postmasters, you know, they want the transactions and they want to make sure that, that they get them happening. But, you know, maybe there's other opportunities and, and we're looking at new products that we could sell uh, in post offices. And, and um, so, you know, this is a period over the next three months because I, I don't see us getting out of this over the next three months. You know, there might be some elements of it, but, but by and large, it's going to be three months of, of restrictions. Um, you know, it's a period to look at what else can we do as a business. I mean, the thing about this period is we're managing to make our decisions much, much faster. And all of the kind of usual discussion that used to take place, that's all falling away. And there's a very positive attitude to, to really change the business now. I asked you about the future of letters uh, earlier in the show. What about the future of the post office network? Because it has been shrinking um, over the last number of years. Where do you see it going from here? Yeah, it, it's, you know, we, we see the post office network as, as, you know, there's a strategy of consolidation, which is, is closing some post offices so that those nearer to them can get more traffic and stay open. And that's worked pretty well. And, and you know, we're, we're close to about 170, 180 offices fewer than we had. I think we could see, um, you know, over the period, it's, it's quite possible there will be more post office closures or retirements coming up. You know, we offered that retirement package to, I can't remember the exact number, I think it was about 350 post offices. So, you know, could you see more of them close? Yes, you certainly could. Um, 
The other aspects of that strategy, though, are really interesting. So co-location is so important. So where, let, let, if I just take, you know, Black Rock, for example, in Dublin, where we co-located a, a, a standalone post office and the postmaster, postmistress, she was, she was concerned about it. And we moved it into the, the super value across the road. And it's done phenomenally well. Now, part of that is getting rid of the screens, making it more open. But, you know, sharing the traffic with a supermarket or something just makes an awful lot of sense and having slightly longer opening hours. So we've done a number of refurbishments, a number of new tests as to what works, whether it's removing the screens, having iPads available, having other services. And we're seeing uplifts. We're just looking at this week, which are much higher than you'd expect in a normal retail refurbishment. I'm going back to my, my WH Smith days and, and Debbie Byrne, who runs the post office network. She goes back to her lifestyle sports. And, you know, we're seeing uplifts of 20 or 30 percent in some cases from those new formats. Now, if that can be held, that's really interesting. So, you know, we've 60 percent of post offices currently co-located. We think that will be 70 percent by the end of this year. Maybe it'll be higher. Maybe we'll push that and get it to 80 percent. Um, so, you know, there's plenty of life in post offices, partly because, you know, the rest of retailing is retreating and the banks are retreating. You know, we have we have um, hundreds. I think it's something like 500 post offices where there's no bank you know, nearby. And um, so, you know, we, we certainly, I, I certainly see a future and it's, it's only the limit of our imagination what we can do. The other part, though, which is really important is winning government services. And, you know, I think we've a couple of, you know, ones that fingers crossed we could win and uh, of the big tenders. And if we win those, you know, that could be really important. And fr from the perspective of government and politicians, just as I say, you know, the general public is seeing on post or seeing our networks as more essential services. There's no doubt that government are absolutely seeing ourselves as a much more essential service than before. You know, we used to have to fight to get in to see if we could do things. Now, you know, I, I'm getting calls all the time to see, can we do things being asked by government? So, you know, I, I'm really positive and really hopeful that we can get a big push in government services. Financial services were growing both, uh, you know, omnichannel, digitally and in post offices. Rest of retailing is retreating. And maybe there's more products we can offer. And we're certainly looking at doing more products. And given all of that, David, is being owned by the state still an appropriate ownership structure for the company? Or uh, would it be good to bring in some private investment? So it's a really, it's, it's a really interesting question because because maybe the answer would have been different a few months ago than now. And certainly, you know, as we develop more financial services, you could say, well, you know what, you're into a very competitive area and therefore wouldn't it be more appropriate if, if you were owned, you always said, does, does the government need to own another bank? You know, would it be more appropriate if, if you had some private investment? And certainly, you know, and I've always said in doing this job, I remember, I remember the unions of the way in, uh, Stevie Fitzpatrick, CWU said, you know, I hope you're, you're not going to privatize. I say, I'm not here to privatize, but I'm not here not to either. I'm just here to do the best for Unpust, wherever, wherever we get our capital from. 
So, you know, you could look at post offices and say, well, that's interesting. Maybe that's possible. And, and remember, most of the post office business is privately held anyway um, by postmasters. In the delivery business, you know, parcels, as we move more towards parcels, that's also a competitive area and a competitive network. And you'd say, you know, and you'd certainly say, well, look, can we benefit from the experience of other big um, privately owned, no, well, I say privately owned, non-state owned operators, um, private sector operators internationally, and, and, and could you benefit? And maybe you could. I think what you've seen, though, is, you know, with this crisis, is just how much of a public service on post is. And so just as I see it as a business at times, I've no doubt that right now our job is as a public service. And maybe it always is. And, and that's the really interesting mix. You know, what we are doing now and calling in on the elderly and in, in trying to make sure that Irish companies can deliver to people um, and doing what we can to keep the, the, the country connected physically. Um, that, that's an essential public service. And there's every reason why government might, might like to own that. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe some of the privatized operators in other countries haven't done so well with their public service remit. You know, I think we're doing a better job here than the Royal Mail is doing in the UK. Our, our sick absence is much lower than most postal operators. So, you know, the notion that oh, government owned means that, oh, it's not working hard, it's not doing things. Our sick absence, including COVID absence, is somewhere probably around about 10%. Um, now, compared to other countries, you know, we're looking at, and we're, we deal with postal operators every day. There's a call every day that our teams are on, that Gareth Bridgman, who runs our delivery business, our, post, our, our mails and parcels business is on. And Gareth will tell you, they're on, you know, many postal operators are on 25% or more sick absence, in some places 50%. And, but, you know, and they're, they're private sector companies. And here we are as owned by the government. But, you know, that, that need for public service and that commitment by the employees of Unpost for a public service, that's something I'd be very careful to, to uh, change. Now, Unpost uh, traditionally has had its headquarters in the GPO, a very historic building right at the heart of Dublin. Um, but plans are afoot, I know, to uh, move your back office people out of there uh, into a, a new location. I'm just wondering, I'm guessing all of those people are currently, or most of them anyway, are currently working uh, remotely. So I'm just wondering how, first of all, in a financial sense, how COVID uh, impacts on your plan to move uh, your head office out of the GPO. Uh, and secondly, whether you know, whether you need whatever number of hundred of people um, located in somewhere like the GPR, indeed, another office box. I think this is a question a lot of companies are now asking themselves. Yeah, it's, 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 look, we're all learning. We're all learning on the job. And I want to say learning, it's not just management learning. The employees are learning as well about, and we, we're all learning about our life priorities and what we want. And, you know, this crisis, COVID crisis, has changed everything for us all. You know, it's impacted on all of us in, in so many ways. So I think we've got to use this period to get the learning from that. What do we know? So, you know, our intention is to move out of the GPO. That intention is unchanged. Um, we are in negotiations in a couple of potential sites. 
in the city centre of, of Dublin. Um, and uh, by city centre, I mean broadly the city centre. Um, and, uh, you know, we expect to conclude those um, over the next period, short period, maybe over the next month or two months, we'd like to conclude them. Um, they're all new constructions, and so construction is delayed, as we know, and so there might be some delays to that. So we might be set back a, a number of months, but the plan doesn't change. Um, the question as to how much space we need is really interesting, and you know we've also got other properties, of course. We've we've a huge amount of properties, and um, you know we've got our Dublin. Uh, campus as uh, which is where our mails and centers business is located out in uh, Nananga Road and you know so that's our Dublin mail center Dublin parcel center maybe it's more appropriate for some more of the mails and parcels people to be there so we certainly would consider some of those options but the direction of travel isn't really changing we are looking for a new HQ uh, we are in negotiations and I expect that will conclude fairly soon. So what happens to the GPO when you move out? Well, that's, you know, the GPO is on a lease. Uh, it will be a while yet. Um, and we have it on a lease, but it's owned by government and by uh, and it's managed by the Office of Public Works. And, um, you know, but firstly, Impost will always be there because the, the, the post office itself will always be there. The museum will always be there. Um, on post flag, I think, will always fly above it because that's, it is our, our home. Uh, in that way, but you know, there's there's a hundred thousand square feet of of space, which is is offices that needs to decide what to do with it. And but you know, that's that's a matter for government. But certainly, we'll play our role as well. You know, we do see ourselves as being the um, you know, it's uh, we're the guardian of that site. It's our job to make sure that it's looked after and that that we work to help uh, government find whatever the best use might be. All right. How many people currently in there, David? It's it's just short of a thousand people. Wow, it's hard to believe you can fit a thousand people into that building when you look at it from the outside. It's an extraordinary large building. It's a huge footprint in the centre of, of of Dublin, centre of town, and um, and it's uh, you know in many ways we'd love to stay there, but simply the cost for it to be refurbished and as high end office space is probably is something that. You know, we've been through this and we've been through it with the staff. It's just something we just wouldn't have that sort of money to be able to do that. Now, the advantage of um, staying there is that that the rent is is really a peppercorn rent. But, you know, that that's meaningless. And if you've got health and safety issues, potentially, you know, with staff, it's a dilapidated building that needs to be refurbished heavily. And, and, you know, it's not just a question of partitioning, it's a question of really, and we've, we've had quantity surveyors in and architects and everything. So, so we've looked at it and, and uh, it requires a lot of work. Right, okay. Just finally, David, how long do you think these restrictions are going to go on for? I presume you've done some scenario planning yourself. How long do you expect that OnPost will be in the mode of restrictions? Uh, I don't know is is the answer. First is the short answer. The longer answer is, you know, you look at three months, six months, and then you look at to the end of the year, you know. So um, they're, they're the kind of three scenarios. Um, you know, the most pessimistic one is the one that says there's, going, there's always going to be heavy restrictions until there's a vaccine. And then there's more optimistic scenarios which say, 
well, actually, you know, once the numbers are, you know, the infection rate is below one, and then once it's all these things that we're all learning as as lay people, um, you know, our guess is no better than anybody else's. But I think we look at three months and, you know, and you then say, well, let's look at six months through to maybe September and see what that does. And then say, let's look through to the end of the year. And in each case, I think we have a plan in each place as to how we'll get through it. Um, I think the Taoiseach has made clear that, you know, there's not going to be a one day when suddenly it's not going to be like VE day. Um, it's going to be a gradual lifting of restrictions. And each gradual lifting should change the nature of the business. Um, but, you know, we're still, we've learned so much uh, from this, Karen. Like as a management team, we have a call at 12, 12 o'clock every day. And it used to take an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half. It's now taking about 20 minutes. People are really sharp. We're working really well. Uh, we're, we're doing, you know, the team is doing brilliantly in terms of making decisions. So, so you know, we're, we're adapting to it. We're adapting to this and, and we're expecting it to be here for a while to come. Great. Well, David McRedmond, we wish you well uh, in your scenario planning uh, for however long these uh, restrictions last. Thank you for... Uh, Thank you for joining us on Inside Business. That's uh, it for this week on the show. My thanks to uh, David. Uh, Declan Conlon produced and edited the show. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care, stay home, and stay safe.